if we're going to raise our families right, I believe it starts with each individual desiring to just know God. And in John chapter 17, the Bible says in verse number one, these words spake Jesus and lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come, glorify thy son, that thy son also may glorify thee. As thou hast given him power over all flesh, that he should give eternal life to as many as thou hast given him. And this is life eternal, that they might know thee, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom thou hast sent. The simple question I'm asking myself this afternoon and you is this. Do you know God? Young people, today's world, they know video games. They know TV shows. They know, uh, they know all of the things that are popular in this world. They even grow up learning to know some really good things that aren't sinful and are, and are healthy for children to learn. They, they, they learn how to change a tire. That's a pretty good skill to know. They learn how to start a fire. They learn some life skills that are really going to help them be productive citizens. There's a big movement today on self-sufficiency. You know, the tiny homes and you get a, a big, big acreage and you just put one little tiny house on it and you learn how to survive in the woods. You light a fire without matches and, and use your own wood from your land to build stuff. That's a big movement now. Those are excellent skills to know. But if you and I learn all of that at the expense of knowing God, I'd submit to you this morning, we've failed as Christians. We must know him more. You live on some land, you have some acreage, you learn how to grow a garden. Or in my case, you start growing a garden and it ends usually with not even a quarter of the crop coming up the way you thought it was going to come up. So there's some of us that try and don't want to, you know what? There's a desire to want to know how to do that. Nothing wrong with that. I do it. I'm sure you do it. But not at the expense of not knowing God. We have this idea that we know how to do church. Well, we show up for services. We know when the service times are. We know when we know how to run a bake sale. We know how to run a potluck. We know how to run a churchyard sale. I'm not saying any of those things are wrong or sinful. I'm not telling you not to do them. What I'm saying to you this afternoon is this. Are you doing those things at the expense of intimately knowing God? And I honestly believe that's part of our problem as American Christians. We are good at doing things that are for God. We're not good at really knowing God intimately. We know facts about God. We can give doctrinal truth about God. But do we really know him? Well, he saved my soul. Great. You've trusted him as your savior. Now as a Christian, do you desire to know him more? Does any couple get married? And 
And the husband says to the wife, well, we're married. I, I, I know you now. I don't need to know anything else. Who does that in a relationship? People that are headed for disaster. A husband that loves his wife wants to get to know her more. A wife that loves her husband wants to get to know him more. Do we know God? Go to Mark 12. Mark chapter number 12, look at verse number 28. The Bible says, and one of the scribes came in Mark 12, verse 28. And having heard them reasoning together and perceived that he had answered them well, asked him, which is the first commandment of all? And Jesus answered him, the first of all the commandments is, hear, O Israel, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord. And thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, with all thy might, with all thy strength. This is the first commandment. Can you do that? Can I do that? I mean, Christ died for you. Christ died for me. Can we love him like it says here in the text? I'd submit to you, we probably need some more help at that. You know why people get voluntold? That's the new buzzword for today. Today's day, you, you, you're voluntold. <laughs> you know why people have to be told to do things? Voluntold, because nobody volunteers anymore. A side note, isn't Tennessee supposed to be the volunteer state? There's something to that. It characterizes why would someone want to move to Tennessee? Isn't it a great state to live in? I think it is. I moved here. Man, the people there care. It's the volunteer state. That's a good thing. I want to put my hand up this morning or this afternoon and say, you know what? I want to volunteer to know God more. I want to love him more. With my heart, with my soul, with my mind, with my strength. Oh, I'm good at maybe the one part with my strength. You know, I can go out and do things for God. I mean, I'm there doing it, just my heart's not. My heart's somewhere else. Oh, I might be there doing it. I checked off something on my list, but my mind is on something else or someone else or a problem or this, or that, or everything that can distract me from really knowing why God has me where he has me. We're easily distracted. I want to know God more. I believe that's how we can build strong families. We need to know him. Christians pursue a lot of things. Fathers, Christian fathers all across America pursue their career. They pursue their hobbies. They pursue their sports. And there isn't anything wrong with that. We need fathers that work hard and are committed to their job. And that are putting their hours in and laboring and teaching their children what it means to work and earn. Not just getting freebies and free handouts from the government. And we need fathers that have some hobbies that they can teach their sons how to hunt, how to fish, how to fight. 
how to swim, how to chop wood, how to carry wood. We need those types of hobbies. They're healthy. But not at the expense of not knowing God. Isn't it easier to just go outside and chop wood for an hour and carry wood for another hour and then throw the football around for an hour and then just go to sleep? Where is God? I want to know God more. I believe if we're going to raise our children right, our grandchildren right, we need to be committed personally to knowing God. Go to 1 Corinthians 11. First Corinthians 11, verse number. I'll let you know when I. Okay, Second Corinthians. I'm sorry. I knew that was didn't look right. Wrote down the wrong verse. We're in Second Corinthians. Chapter number 11. Oh, let's see. Let's start in verse number 23. Are they ministers of Christ? I speak as a fool. I am more in labors, more abundant, in stripes above measure, in prisons more frequent, in deaths oft. Of the Jews, five times received I forty stripes, save one. Thrice was I beaten with rods. Once was I stoned. Thrice I suffered shipwreck. A night and a day I have been in the deep. In journeyings often. In perils of water. In perils of robbers. In perils by mine own countrymen. In perils by the heathen. In perils in the city. In perils in the wilderness, in perils in the sea, in perils among false brethren. I'd say Paul's got some peril. In weariness, painfulness, in watchings often, in hunger and thirst, and fastings often, in cold and nakedness. Besides those things that are without, that which cometh upon me daily. The care of all the church. Here's a man that can't boast in his strength. He's been beat up, stoned, shipwrecked, imprisoned, death threats. You've got a man that wants to know God. And he goes through all of that and then says, I'm going to care. I don't know about you, but if I got stoned on Monday, was imprisoned on Tuesday, had my life threatened on Wednesday, Thursday they put me on a ship out to sea and brought me back Saturday and released me, Probably the last thing on my mind would be caring for you. Now, I'm just being honest, and I don't like that about me, but I'm thinking about getting some water, getting some sleep, 
and getting away from all the mean people. How about you? Not Paul. He knew God. You know what he says in the next verse? Who is weak? Am I not weak? Who is offended? And I burn not? If I must needs glory, I will glory of the things which concern mine infirmities. I am glad to suffer for Christ, Paul said. And he said, you know what? You know why he was able to care for those people? He was able to care for them because he says, look, are you weak? I know what it's like to be weak. And he could relate to those people. You offended? I know what it's like to be offended. We have lost the ability to relate to our families, our spouses, our children, our church families. We have lost the ability to relate to them because we are focusing on our strengths. And Paul chose the glory of his And the reason he was able to relate to those people and care for them, you know why? Because he wasn't glorying him. And I would come back from having to go through all that mess. And I would say, Lord, help me out. I don't care about anybody else, God. Help me minister to my flesh and my needs. And I believe this is one of the problems families have in America is that individually, they are thinking only of themselves, not how to know God more. So that they can minister and care for each other. Look at the 12th chapter of 2 Corinthians. 2 Corinthians 12, look at verse 7. And lest I should be exalted above measure. Through the abundance of the revelations, there was given to me a thorn in the flesh. The messenger of Satan to buffet me, lest I should be exalted above measure. We want to exalt ourselves. And individually, we do a good job at that. And God sent Paul something that would buffet him. A thorn in the flesh. So that he would go in. He'd stay humble. The humbler you are, the more you're, the more likely you are to care for people. It says in verse eight, "For this thing I besought the Lord thrice that it might depart from me." Oh Lord, take it away! Oh Lord, take it away! Oh Lord, take it away! Then He said unto me, "My grace is sufficient for thee, for my strength is made perfect in weakness." Men and women want to be strong, and Paul says here. Under the Holy Spirit's inspiration, you know what he says? I am okay with being weak. If it means I can know God more. If it means I can care for people more. Most gladly, therefore, will I rather glory in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. You see that? He is glorying in something that I probably would not glory in. But if we can do that, if we can learn to get a hold of this, 
and know God more in glory and even in our infirmities. He says in verse 10, therefore, I take pleasure in infirmities, in reproaches, in necessities, in persecutions, in distresses. Why are you insane? Thank Your wife is there for you to minister to her and care for her. Wives, your husband is there for you to minister to him and care for him. Parents, your children are there for you to minister to them and care for them. Stop trying to be strong. And glory in your weakness and inability to be able to do it so that you would rely on him. I'm strong. I can be a great father. God says, no, you can't. I'm strong. We're strong parents. We have it all together. We've got the perfect job. We've got the perfect family. We've got the perfect house and cars and two dogs and a cat and a pig. We can do this. And God says, no, you can't. He gave him the thorn in the flesh and wouldn't feel strong. He'd feel weak. And when he has to take it away three times, God said, no. My grace. Is sufficient. And glory in his weakness. Oh God. Help me to glory in my weakness. So that I would be dependent on you. And not me. Your family. My family. We need to know God. More. Too many families have a critical spirit. This is wrong, that's wrong, you're wrong, that's wrong. The churches are wrong, the government's wrong, the preachers are wrong, the church members are wrong, my boss is wrong. Everybody's wrong except guess who? Me! <laughs> it's the me generation. How about just know God more and you'll realize what I'm trying to realize. I'm nothing, I'm weak, I need you, I need more of you, Lord. I think that'll help. I know that will help our families. I know that will help our families. Go to Psalm 51. Psalms 51. Look what it says in verse 17. Psalmist writes, verse number 12, restore unto me the joy of thy salvation and uphold me with thy free spirit. Then will I teach transgressors thy ways and sinners shall be converted unto thee. Deliver me from blood guiltiness. Blood guiltiness. O God, thou God of my salvation, and my tongue shall sing aloud of thy righteousness. O Lord, Open thou my lips, and my mouth shall show praise, forth thy praise. For thou desirest not sacrifice, else would I give it. Thou delightest not in burnt offerings. Here's the verse. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and a contrite heart. O oh God, thou wilt not despise. You must be broken 
and your brokenness will prove that you can be used in the master's hand. And until you are broken, until I am broken, we find our strength in ourselves. Brokenness and weakness is where God can use you. You know why? In your strength, you rely on you. In my abilities, and my strengths, and my talents, yeah, God gave them to me, praise the Lord, but I'll just rely on me, God. And God says, you've got to humble yourself, you've got to be broken, you've got to see yourself as weak. If you want to be used in my hand, and I want to be, I want to be used in the, by the hand of God. Families need brokenness. And they need to realize that they're weak. So they can be used for God's glory. And depend on his strength. I know we all have had different lives that we have lived. I know all we have a different past. What bonds us together is Christ. I understand. My past is I've seen a lot of athletes dedicate their lives to being strong. Dedicate hours upon hours to getting better at their athletic endeavor. It's non-stop. The family is put on hold. The friends are put on hold. Because it's time for me to shine, God. And they have spent hours upon hours of their life trying to become strong. They break their bodies down for money. They break their bodies down for worldly pursuits. They break their bodies down for ribbons and medals and belts and trophies and the hands up. And they make the first place and they, they, they've done it. They've broken themselves down. But they don't know God. Because they're strong. And you say, is all that stuff sinful? If it causes you to see yourself strong and not weak in the master's hand. Yes. If it's a hobby and you're trying to enjoy some recreation and you're trying to get yourself in shape. Well, look, bodily exercise profits. You get a little bit of profit from that. God says a little profit a little. But there's a line that must be drawn. If you want to have a strong family. It has to start with you knowing God more. When was the last time you gathered around the family table and it wasn't a 10 second prayer, a three minute scarfing of the food down and a, when's it time to get on to the next thing? When did you just sit around the table and desire to know God? 
Let's pray. Let's read this verse of Scripture. Let's just... Let's just not have to be anywhere for 10 minutes, kids. Let's just not have to be anywhere or do something. The husband says to the wife, the wife says to the husband, parents say to the kids, let's just sit around the table. Let's just know God. Let's talk about his grace. Let's talk about his blessing. Let's talk about how marvelous he is. Let's talk about his glory. You want to have a strong family, you've got to know God. Most families are more excited about their guns than God. They're more excited about their high-powered truck than the Holy Trinity. They're more excited about making money than they are pleasing the Messiah. I've got a truck. I've got a few bucks in my pocket. But if it's at the expense of knowing God more, nothing. I want you to know God more. I want to know God. Go on Google this afternoon and just type in how to and then pick a topic and see how much comes up. And do that about three times and each time pick a different topic. You can find out how to do just about anything online. But Kelly has a scroll saw. Likes doing scroll saw wood art, car, car, carpentry style thing. He can go on Google or YouTube and he can find out how to do a new technique or a new design in about five minutes. What's your hobby? You can learn how to do it and you can learn how to do it good and praise the Lord for that type of information. Go for it. But how about how to know God? What about a grandfather around the scroll saw or the table saw or the chop saw or just fill in whatever saw? What about, what about that scene, that picture, and the grandchild there learning and grandfather's talking to him about the glories of God and the majesty of God and the grace of God? And the, you can know God more through the hobbies that you enjoy. What do you like? What do you like? can know God more if you just give him first place. First Corinthians 10. First Corinthians 10 verse number thirty-one. First Corinthians 10 verse 31. Whether therefore ye eat or drink or whatsoever ye do, do all to the glory of God. Do your kids know that why they breathe is because of God. 
Do they know why they walk, why they can see, why they can use their hands, the way they can use them, the things that they can do? Do they know? Do they know that it's because of God? Do they know they've been designed by God and whatever they do, they should be giving glory to him? And playing the piano. Well, my teacher taught me. Who taught your teacher? Her teacher. Who taught your teacher's teacher? Does God fit anywhere in that line? <laughs> you want to have strong families. Know God. Give God glory in all that you do. Husbands can do a good job at providing for their wife of all of the things that she needs here on earth. but can be a horrible husband. Why? Because he can do all of those things, provide all of those things, but not provide one thing, a relationship of love and care and concern. But here you go, honey. Here's a new car. Here you go, honey. Here's a house to live in. You don't know God. I don't know God. We are good at doing things. We are good at getting things done. I think we do best to spend 45 minutes to an hour in fervent prayer to just know God. Yeah, but the Super Bowl's coming up. That's your problem. You want three hours in front of the Super Bowl. And you can't spare 45 minutes to an hour seeking God. And in a week, men will line themselves up and they will sit out in the cold and they will, they will sit out for an hour to two hours getting themselves intoxicated drinking strong drink and then they will go into the stadium they'll spend another three hours they'll make a whole day of it God nowhere in it but it's 25 degrees out they don't care they're committed to that cause And we have a hard time spending 10 minutes knocking on the door, 10 minutes outside of Walmart, speaking with somebody in the parking lot. So we've got to get to our car that's got heated seats and heat. And they're dying because they're lost and undone and unclean. And if we just knew God more, we would look for those types of opportunities. It's too cold. The football players don't say it's too cold. Only weak, cowardly Christians. I want you to know God. I want to know God. Now, I know this can't last forever because the kids grow up. And some of you older saints know what I'm talking about. But you remember when you'd come home from work. Now, we have a long 1,200-foot driveway. So you can see when I'm coming down that driveway. 
When I come down that driveway, just the kids running out. Daddy, daddy, daddy's home, daddy's home. They jump on the side of the, you know, the rails of the truck. And then I, they, just hold, they hold on to there and I drive them up to the house. And they just wonder, well, I know they can't do that when they're 25, but I'm going to enjoy it now. Okay. <laughs> you know what that is? Those are children that want to know their father. But you can cut that thing short if the father doesn't want to know his children. Are you a child of God? You run out in the driveway like a child would to just know God? I don't mean literally, I mean symbolically. Are you running to God to know God? We read the Bible. Is it an exercise or do you do it to know him? We prepare a sermon. Is it, is, it, is, it just a, is it just our job or are you studying the Bible to want to know God? Do we just create things to do to avoid knowing God more? Hudson Taylor, George Moeller, have you heard of these men? They didn't ask for a one dime. They sincerely desired to know God. George Whitfield, he died at 55 years old. He covered 5,000 miles in America and preached during that time over 350 times. Thousands gathered. He died at 55. The Great Awakening. How about you have a Great Awakening? The 1700s are coming back. Jonathan Edwards, he died at 54 years old. In 1741, that's the year that he preached sinners in the hands of an angry God. These men desired to know God more. Yeah, but I know some doctrine that I don't agree with with all men. That's not the point. The point is they desired to know God. Hebrews 11. Tell me how this happened. In Hebrews 11. Tell me. Look at this. Hebrews 11. We know how to be proud. We know how to be busy. I want us to know how to know God. How, how does this happen? In Hebrews 11. Look at verse 33. We know it's the, it's the whole roll call of faith. And by the time we get to verse 33 in Hebrews 11, who through faith subdued kingdoms, wrought righteousness, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions, quenched the violence of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, out of weakness were they made strong, waxed valiant in fight, turned to flight the armies of the aliens. Women received their dead, raised to life again. And others were tortured, not accepting deliverance, that they might obtain a better resurrection. And others had trial of cruel mockings and scourgings, yea, moreover of bonds and imprisonment. They were stoned. They were sawn asunder, were tempted, were slain with the sword. They wandered about in sheepskins and goatskins, being destitute, afflicted, and tormented. They did it all without a complete Bible. And we have a Bible we can hold in our hand 
We have a more sure word of prophecy. We're looking for ease. He didn't have what we have. And they did this. Because they wanted to know God. You want to know God. Preacher said. When asked how do you know the Bible is inspired. His response was. Because it inspires me. Does it inspire you to know God more? I'm going to tell you why this is the most difficult time in American history. It has nothing to do who's president, who's in governmental control, and what the Illuminati is up to. It has absolutely nothing to do with the Freemason Society, the JWs, Hollywood, and as wicked as all, as all of those things are, that is not why we are in the most difficult time in America. We are in the most difficult time in America now because Christian families are failing. Preachers are failing. Preachers are quitting. Church members are out of church. They don't desire to know God. Because if individual, if individual Christians desire to know God, those families would desire to know God. If the preachers would desire to know God, the church members would desire to know God. And if the church members desire to know God, that would motivate the preacher to want to know God more. We are the problem. Say, preacher, you've lost your mind. I've been told that. I want to have the mind of Christ, and I want you to have the mind of Christ. There's another problem plagues Christians. For many preachers, their ministry is their idol. Travel across America like George Whitfield, or stay home and minister to my wife's need, needs and children's needs. If they have needs and you're not ministering to them, that's a problem. We've got it easy. We're a small church. What if we had 300 people and all the preacher did was minister to the people's needs and spent time with the people and he didn't spend any time with his wife or his children. That preacher's unfit. Where are you going, preacher? Home. Why? I want to. Who's there? My wife, I want to see her. I don't want to see you or talk to you. Is that okay? I don't mean, I don't mean you. I just, I'm just making the story up in my head as we go. You see, you see the problem? We have another problem. 
Christian mothers and fathers, they won't take their family to church. They won't take their kids to church. They won't take their kids to the park. They won't take their kids uh, to the lake. They won't take their kids anywhere. Why? Because their families, they're idle. We don't want them to be corrupted. Uh, I got news for you. They're already corrupt. Why? Well, because you're raising them and you're corrupt. We're all corrupt. Well, don't we have to protect them? Yes, we do. And if you're protecting them, keep doing that. But not at the expense where they become your idol. It's out of balance. And on the, on, on the preacher's side and the people's side, there is a cliff to fall off on both sides. You know where the middle is? Knowing God more. So we know how to minister to our families, how to keep our families in church, but balance out. And we church is, you know what it is? It's a lot of. It's dead sermons. The dead people. And dead people listening to a dead preacher. Out of a dead book. Because they got whatever the, the, the newest living that's not really living translation. You see what the problem is? People don't want to know God. I want something that's got some life. So how do we fix dead sermons to dead people? We manufacture. Manufacture excitement. Lights, camera, action. Bring in two drum sets. Nothing wrong with drums. I just never seen somebody not play rock music with it in a church. So yeah. we manufacture because we don't know God deeply, intimately in our. Church is not a concert, not a carnival, not an Amway convention. It's a place to come, gather, to know God. More Philippians 2, and then I'll tell a story, and we'll go home. Philippians 2.13. Philippians 2.13. For it is God which worketh in you both to will and to do of his good pleasure. Do all things without murmurings and disputing. That ye may be blameless and harmless the sons of God without rebuke. In the midst of a crooked and perverse nation. Among whom ye shine lights, as in the world, holding forth the word of life. I may rejoice in the day of Christ, that I have not run in vain, neither labored in vain. Who's in control? Is God working in you for his pleasure? I'd submit that we don't live different and raise our families different because we don't know God as intimately as we should. Hans Brett was a young uh, a young baker. Hans Brett. 
He was from Antwerp in the Netherlands. And he took care of and he supported his widowed mother. Praise the Lord. That's called a man. A man does that. He took care of and supported his widowed mother. He was only in his 20s when he did this, but he was also recognized as a distinguished Bible scholar. He knew the Bible. And as a result, many new converts to the Christian faith would seek him out to learn from and study from and do a Bible study. But the enemies of righteousness hated him and could not tolerate what he was doing and who he knew. So on May 6th of 1576, at 9 p.m., the bailiff and his assailants surrounded the bakery that he worked at, knocked on the door, wanting to arrest all that were inside. But Hans was previously alerted to their intentions. And he warned his mom and he warned the bakery owner. And they were able to escape. But Hans and several others were captured and taken to Castle Prison. His charge being rebaptized. And his faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And his sentence. To be burned at the stake. After being cast into a dungeon. He was tortured and interrogated. For the purpose of forcing him. To recant his faith. However he resisted. And from prison. He wrote several letters. To his mother. And his pastor. Some of which you can read. In Martyr's Mirror. In one letter to his mother. It was dated July 19th of 1576. He recounted the history of God's faithful people. Who had suffered and died. Beginning with Abel. And continued through. To Jesus Christ as Lord. And his dear apostles. And on the day of his execution. Of January 4th. 1577, the authorities subjected Hans to the indignity of a tongue screw. And back in those days, you know what a tongue screw was? They forced him to stick out his tongue and they clamped, they clamped an iron clamp. The executioner did that. They tightened it and clamped an iron clamp to his tongue. And that iron clamp became a hot iron that was burned to make his tongue swell so he couldn't pull the clamp off. Why did they do that if they were going to burn him at the stake? Because they wanted to prevent him from witnessing to anyone coming from his cell before to, to the stake where he would be burned. And they clamped his tongue. When Hans arrived at the stake, he knelt and folded his hands to worship God. But the authorities jerked him to his feet and chained him to the stake. His pastor was in attendance and stood as near to Hans as he could. 
And as his pastor watched the fire consume Hans, the body of his friend, he wept. And after the fire cooled, his pastor retrieved from the ashes the only thing that was left of Hans, the tongue screw. And that screw, that tongue clamp was saved. And shortly after Hans was burned at the stake, that pastor saved that tongue clamp, married Hans's mother. And they have, their descendants have passed down that tongue screw from generation to generation, telling the story. Of what it means. Know God. You know God. You know. Verse number five in Philippians 2. Let this mind be in you. Which was also in Christ Jesus. Who being in the form of God. Thought it not robbery to be equal with God. But made himself of no reputation. And took upon him the form of a servant. And was made in the likeness of men. And being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. Wherefore, God also hath highly exalted him and given him a name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, of things in heaven and things in earth and things under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Know him more. 